Let's stand together then. Let's open our Bibles to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Take your Bibles now and open them to Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Father, we pray you'd anoint your word today. Give us freedom to share it and let it penetrate our hearts right where you want each individual to hear it. Uh, Lord, you, you know the condition of each soul, of each heart. Let each one hear what you'd say to them in Jesus' name. Amen. In your immediate family, who, just kind of put this in your mind, who was the first person in your immediate family that became a born-again Christian? And where they really put their faith in Jesus uh, and became a follower of Christ, not just a church attender. Some of you in this room, that may be you. You may be the first one in your family that really cross that line of faith, as we say, and put your trust in Jesus. Maybe people went to church, but they, they, they never really had that personal relationship with Christ. For me, I am a third-generation Christian. My grandparents, well, some, some, one of the families I know of was a religious family, but he, they weren't born again by any stretch of the imagination. But my grandfather crossed the line of faith. And came to know Christ in a very personal way. <clears throat> my parents were born again Christians. And they made sure, my parents did, they made sure that I had a knowledge of God. They took me to church every Sunday. In fact, I, I tell people this all the time. I've done this with my children. I, I see, now, see now my children doing it with their children. I went to church before I went home. My parents took me to the church and laid me on the altar, prayed over me before they took me home. And I've done that with all of my kids. So church was in, in, embedded in us. They took, we went to church on Sunday morning. I went to Sunday school class. We went to the morning service. We went to the evening service. We went to the midweek service. If they had special services going on, we went to the special. I, I got to go to the special service. There was a speaker there. I got to go to it. If there was a Sunday school class or a camp or a retreat or a, a choir that was going to sing or a youth group meeting, I was going to be there. I never, ever remember my parents asking me about any of those things, VBS, any of those things. They never, ever asked me, do you want to go to VBS? And that, that question never crossed their lips. It was, it's VBS week. It's camp week. You're going to camp. I am? Yes, you are. It's going to be fun. Really? Yes, you're going to love it. I, I don't know. Yes, you are. You're going to have a great time. It's, it's Sunday school time. Get down to your class. That's where you're supposed to be. Oh, there's a choir. We started a kids choir. You're in. You're in. You made it. You made it. I don't remember trying out. That's okay. You made it. That was my world. That was my world. If there was not, because see, here's what they wanted. They wanted to embed in me uh, the truth of God. When I was in, in high school, I could, be, I could participate in anything I wanted to in high school. 
I'm just going to tell you our rules. But I had to explain to that coach or that director or whoever it was, uh, Sunday mornings, Thursday nights, I'm at church. If I, if I have to be someplace on those nights, I, I can't be in this. Because in their mind, learning about God was more important than anything else we would do. I'm, I'm telling you, they didn't worry about my sleep. They didn't sit and go, oh, he might lose some sleep. If we go tonight, we, oh, his bedtime is at 8. Well, church will probably last till 8, 15, so we can't go. To, that never crossed their mind. I could get up and go to, go to school tired the next day. They didn't care. I was going to church. I'm just telling you, that was, the, that was our home. Our home was get up and go and let's get this thing done. Because what they wanted to do is they wanted to plant the Word of God and the priority of the things of God into my life. And what they did is they infused the Bible into me. By the time I was a very young man, young boy, I knew that I was created by God. I knew I would answer to God someday. I knew God had established right and wrong. Man didn't establish it. God established it. I knew the Bible stories of God intervening in the world and could tell them better than most other people. I knew God loved me. I knew God listened to prayers. I knew God knew my heart. I knew God was coming again someday which scared me half to death. I, 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 knew, I, I knew Jesus was the Son of God. I knew that he had died for my sin. And I knew that someday I would stand before God in judgment and I knew that I would spend eternity in heaven or hell. Those things were embedded in me as a young boy. And I knew those things enough to have a fear of God. But I'll tell you, fear of God only takes you so far. It usually just takes you to the bare minimum. I, I don't know that I ever lived the bare minimum, but my, I, I think my folks probably pushed me past that. But my motivation was fear more than love many times. I, I knew that wasn't the right answer. You know, I knew that was the wrong answer. So if you'd have asked me, I would have said, I'm doing this because I love God. But many, many times it was more out of, I fear God, than it was out of, I love God. There are things I wouldn't do. There are places I wouldn't go. There are things I wouldn't say. Because I feared God more than I would tell you that I love Him. But I didn't know how to make that transition from fear to love. This is the danger of the second and third and fourth generation believers. If that's your seat today, if you're in a seat where you're a second, third, fourth generation believer, this is the real danger. Because we, believers in second, third, and fourth generation, we can have knowledge without love. We can know about God, which is the beginning of wisdom, be fearful of God, which is the beginning of wisdom, and not really be in love with God. Not really be passionate about Him. We therefore want a God who exists for our pleasure and our glory instead of a God that we exist for his pleasure and his glory. And that's absolutely going to take us the wrong direction. You've got to get this right. He doesn't exist for us. I mean, we exist for him. He can get by just fine without us. We can't get by a moment without him. So when you're in that second and third generation, you're, you're, you're doing this thing out of knowledge we began to change the rules. We began to compromise things. 
expectation for service in the kingdom, we begin to morph that a little bit. We rewrite the moral compass and reform the moral compass a little bit. Uh, we, we rewrite, you know, how much we really need to read the Word or pursue the Word and the standards that our first-generation believers put in front of us with their love for God and their passion for God. We begin to rewrite them to fit our lifestyle and to fit how we want to live instead of having this dynamic pursuit of God. We transform His mind into our thinking, believing he's altogether like us. Instead of understanding that he's not like us at all, we need to be transformed into his thinking. Knowledge is rooted in the head. Love is rooted in the heart. Now here's what I really want you to capture with me today. Knowledge gives us boundaries. When you have knowledge, you say, okay, I can't do that. I've got to do this. I can only go there. And so we begin to do things because of the boundaries. But we push, our natural flesh is going to push on those boundaries. So knowledge gives us a boundary that we naturally push against in our flesh. Love gives us a goal. Love is different than the knowledge It gives us a goal, the desire to please him, the desire to live for his glory. When you fall in love with God, you want to please him. When you see how great he is and how wonderful he is and and what he offers, you begin to want to please him. You begin to want to live for him, and that begins to change things in your life and begins to transform you. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom begins in our head, but true wisdom comes from our heart. It all may begin in the mind, but it is the heart where real victory is won. So Jesus tells us that this is the greatest commandment to love God because when I love God, things begin to clean up and change and transform because I'm living to please him. My language changes. Where I want to be changes. The jokes I tell change. Things I want to get by with change. But how do you command somebody to love someone? When I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for 11 years, many, many times I had these guys or girls come up to me and they would say to me, uh, Pastor Mark, can you help me? I said, well, I'd love to. How can I help? God has told me I'm supposed to marry that person right over there. Really? Well, that's That's amazing. Uh, how do they feel about that? <laughs> well, Pastor Mark, that's where I need your help. See, I, I need you to talk to them because God has spoken to me, but they're not obeying God right now. <laughs> and I'd have to explain to this poor soul, well, I, I don't think it will work that way. Here's what I think you ought to do. You go pray for them, and you pray for yourself that you both get in the middle of God's will. Because what I've learned is you can't command somebody to love you. So here's the question. What about you? Do you love God? Or are you simply reacting to God out of knowledge? The sign of that is this bare minimum issue. Why do you come to church? 
Do you come to church because you know, oh, it's the right thing to do. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I should do that. I'm a Christian. I should go to church. If that's your role, then what it's going to be is it's going to reduce itself to the bare minimum. You're not going to come out of a desire. You're coming out of a duty. And so anything that comes up, any opportunity that comes your way, anything that moves in your life that could interfere with that, you're like, okay, I can go do that. God understands. I've got to go do that. And you live to the bare minimum. Instead of having the desire that says, I want to please God, I want to know God, I want to be in God's presence, I'm going to pursue God. What do you dream for the church? Do you dream anything for our church? Do you think about our church and wonder what it could be like and what God would have you to do in it? Are, are, are the dreams left to other people? Because see, when, you're, when you love God, you want to see His church flourish. Here's a big one. Why do you give? Well, I get a tax write-off. What would happen if the tax write-off went away? Why do you give? Do you give out of the desire to recognize the first fruits of God and what he's done for you, or do you give out of a duty and a responsibility? Do you give out of joy? Do you give with a passion to see the kingdom extended? Why do you give? Why do you work in a ministry? Do you even work in a ministry? Have you, re, you know, kind of retired from all that? Or are you committed to say, you know what? I want to use the gifts God's given me to show other people the love God has for them. Why do you work in a ministry? Why do you read the Word? Do you read the Word so you can have a better argument against somebody else? Or do you read the Word to know God, to understand God, to have a, to have a growth of who God is in your life? Do you even pick up your Bible and read it? Why do you clean up your life? Do you clean up your life because you think these are the bare minimum things I better straighten out or I'm going to be in trouble when I stand before God? Or do you clean up your life because you say, I want to live a life pleasing to Him? Why do you call yourself a Christian? Why are you obedient? Is it out of fear and knowledge or is it out of love? I, I would suggest to you, to you today, if you're doing the bare minimum, and the excuses in your life are rampant about why you don't read the Bible or, you know, why you don't do this. And, and I would tell you there's so many great tools to read the Bible today. There's so many different Bibles you can get that have different versions to help you read it, that have study notes in them for you to help you understand it. You can get Bibles on your iPhones now that will actually read it to you. So if you have a hard time reading, you, it can, you can read along with it. So many wonderful tools. But I, I would suggest you, to, if we're doing the bare minimum, okay, I'll... I'll I'll read it, you know, a little bit, maybe once a week. If you're doing the bare minimum, it's what you have to get by with. And every excuse gets in the way of you giving or working or being in church. Everything kind of gets, everything's a priority over the things you should be doing. I would suggest to you that you may consider that maybe you're following Christ out of knowledge and fear instead of out of love. If you get to the end of a Bible challenge like we just got to and you go, okay, what's next? If you get the, the, the end of an, an a ministry season that your ministry group has been in and at the end of it you go, okay, what's next? 
I loved it as we went through these sessions and we were talking about what we were doing as a church and what we were going through as a church. And, and I think almost every one, maybe one or two it didn't happen, but in almost every one of these 10, 15 meetings, somewhere in the meeting somebody would raise their hand and say, okay, pastor, uh, so now campaign's coming in. What are we giving to next? What's next? If you're asking what's next, you probably got it right. You're probably... Find a place of love for God that you want to live to please Him. And it's not just duties that you're checking off your list. For those who love, at the core of life on earth, in the kingdom of God, is this very simple truth. We live for His glory. He doesn't exist for us. We exist for Him. This is not a rule. That's a desire. You don't get there by living a rule. You get there by getting up in the morning and going, okay, God, I'm walking out the door. I'm going to face some things today. How do I show your glory? This bill just came in. I didn't expect it, God. How do I live for your glory? This problem just arose. I don't know quite what to do about it, God. How do I walk through this for your glory? This opportunity has come. God, what would you have me to do in it? Because I want to live for your glory. God, this person is here right now. What, what do you want me to do with them? How do you want me to help them? How do I live for your glory? The, ch- the question changes into this question of what do we do with this desire? And what does our desire say? I want this fellowship to grow. Not for our glory. I want, I, I, you know what I want? I want every seat to be filled every Sunday. That sound like a good plan? Not for my glory. I'm going to be forgotten someday. I'm fine with that. Not for the church's glory. Not so we can say, oh, we go to the church and we're filled every Sunday. Not for our glory. Not for our glory. But so lives can be set free for his glory. So people can be delivered. So people and addictions can be set free. Listen, if you're here with an addiction today, you need to come to the altar. We're going to pray for you that God will set you free at the end of this service. If you're sitting here today and you're going through a health issue, come down and let somebody pray for you. We believe God can touch you and heal you. We're going to pray for God to move in your life. If you're in need of a direction in your life today, come down and let somebody pray with you. We believe God can give you direction in your life. If you need a new touch of the Spirit of God in your life, come down at the end of this service and let somebody pray with you. We believe God will give you a new touch of His Spirit. We want to do these things not for our glory, but so His glory can shine through your life. I want us to influence our community by the glory of God. Not by our numbers, not by our dollars, but because God's, because of the deep, deep down in the heart of the members of this church, we want to live for His glory. And when things happen around us, we ask ourselves, what am I supposed to do about that, God? I stand with one of our men who's dove into a situation with the family. It's a really complicated kind of situation. We've been talking this week, and I just looked at it and said, this, this is organic Christianity. This is the way it's supposed to work. You're doing what you can do. You're bringing the rest to us so we can see what we can do so that the glory of God's kingdom can shine, shine in this circumstance. But it takes us having a desire to want to do the right thing. So here's the question. Do you really love God? What would that look like? Well, <clears throat> there's a couple things. It would be faith living. You got to live by faith. Not by our culture, but by faith. When God says something's wrong, it's wrong. And by faith we accept that. I don't, I don't hedge on that. 
I don't say, oh, I, I really love my girlfriend so I can sleep with her. And God understands. No. By faith, I go, premarital sex is sin. I'm not going to do that. Are you hearing me? By faith, I obey God. I do what he tells me to do. I walk and I become obedient to him. And when I read his word and he tells me to clean up my language, to not be crude, to not be coarse, not because of knowledge of fear, but because I want to please him. I go, that's all I need to hear. That's all I need to hear. God says I, not to do that. I'm going to clean up my, I want to live pleasing to him. When God tells me and tells us in his word to give to the poor, that's all I need to hear. I'm going to give to the poor, I'm going to help the poor. What is God telling me? I live by faith and I follow him because I love him. When you're in love with him, you want to please him. When you're in love with him, life becomes worship-driven. Now, I love it when we come in here and we sing and we worship God together and God meets with us. But really, our worship here should be a reflection of our life out there. If we come in here and we sing, oh God, I give you my everything, I give you my all, I, you know, you're worth it all, Lord. And then we go out there and we live like he's not worth it all. We're hypocrites. We go out and we live this life of loving him and we express our love and our joy for him and we honor the holy God that we see in his word and we worship him in our life. A life that loves him, listen, is service-centered. It changes from being me-centered. This is one of the places where we ch- in, in love we change. Because in knowledge, we're still a little bit me-centered. Okay, I understand this. And, and, and me wants to get to heaven. Me does not want to go to hell. Me wants to, be, wants to be okay with God. When that changes and we begin to love him, me begins to set to the side. And I say, God, how do I serve you? And I recognize that he loves others. And he wants to serve others through me. Acknowledgement comes from the mind, the truth. When my children were born, Renee and I wanted them to know God. We did all the things that, uh, that our folks did. We didn't ask them about choirs or we put them in things. We did everything we could do to introduce them to the knowledge of God. But I'll tell you. I didn't want my children to simply acknowledge God as important, as important as that is. I I prayed that they would fall in love with God. I wanted them to love him, not just know him. I don't simply want you as, as, as members of this church to simply acknowledge God as important, as important as that is. My hope and my prayer is that you'll love him. You'll fall in love with him. But here's that trick. How do we transition from uh, being these people who know about God to being people who really love God? How do, you, how do you make that transition? That was my problem as a third-generation Christian. So I would ask you, what makes us fall in love? You, know, you go to a restaurant and say, I love this restaurant. Well, why do you love it? Well, they serve good food and they take care of you and you like the atmosphere and you, you love that better than you love the one down the street that doesn't serve such good food and is kind of dirty and they don't take care of you. You love this one more. Find a vacation spot. I love that vacation spot. We go there every year, every time we get a chance. Family goes there. Why? Because you've experienced something good there. You've experienced something. You've, you didn't love it at first, but now you love it. Young man, young woman meet each other. 
kind of see things they like in each other and get to know each other. And I, listen to me. If you're, if you're in that case, in that, that situation, let it simmer. Wait for love. Let it grow. Don't go too soon. If it's, if it's, if it's really love, it'll grow. It can wait. If it's not really love, you say, I'm afraid I'll lose him. Then lose him. You know, let it simmer. Let it grow. Remember, uh, there was a couple in our church a number of years ago, young guy, young girl, and one of them had been away for a while and came back. I forget which one. And uh, we had an event going on at our house, and we had invited a bunch of young people over and invited these folks over. They, I didn't know that they had any connection at all. But the girl came up to one side, again, I forget who it was, me and Renee, and said, is, is he coming to that thing today? And we said, yes, I believe he signed up to come. Can I still come? Yes, you can come. And we, we kind of laughed about it on the way home. I think she's interested in him. I think she likes him. We get there that day, and there's about 20, 30 people at the house and different tables here. And I was sitting at the table where this young man was, and she made her way in, and she sat at that table too. We sat there, and we laughed, and we talked, and, and it was— and, and, and I could kind of tell she was giving attention to him. And I didn't know if he noticed or not. But somewhere in the conversation, the, the conversation turned to cookies. Turned to cookies. And we were talking about the, our favorite homemade cookies. And I'd said my favorite homemade cookie. And this man, young man said his favorite homemade cookie. And different ones said their favorite one. That night, we have church again. We're back at church. And he's there and she's there at the end of the service. I see her walk up with a package and hands it to him. And I walked over to him later and said, what you got there? He said, oh, she made me some homemade cookies. My favorite one she made for me. And I sat there and I thought, I didn't get any homemade cookies. I sat at that same table and nobody brought me homemade cookies. I was very clear about what my, home, what my favorite homemade cookies were, and I didn't get any. Now, I want to tell you, there was something special in those homemade cookies. There was a magic ingredient in those homemade cookies because it wasn't but a few, maybe less than a year later, he came to me and said, Pastor, there's a ceremony I'd like for you to perform for me and her. Uh, we've decided we're going to get married. Now, I was just with them in the last couple of weeks and sat with them and asked them how they were doing. They told me how great they're doing. They've been married for a number of years now. Those were special cookies right there. Those were love-making cookies right there. <coughs> I just want to tell you that there's a process that goes through and happens. Uh, when I began to look at, at, at who Jesus was and grew in this knowledge of him, I'll tell you, at first it was fear. I'd hear about God and hear about what he could do and understood I was going to answer to him someday. And it, heaven sounded a lot better than hell. I mean, you get a good evangelist then talking about heaven and hell, and I was at the altar. I wanted to, I wanted to shore up my faith and be certain I was go in the right direction. But then I began to look at him. I began to study more about Jesus and what he's really all about. I got inspired to spend some time with him, praying and seeking him. I began to experience his presence in my life more and more. I began to talk to him and go through life more and more aware of him, seeking him and listening. And it was in those times that I really began to get the spark of love and began to love him. As I walked through life, I was comforted by him. In times of grief, I would feel his comfort. In times of insecurity, I would feel his comfort. In times of fear, 
I could reach out to him and feel him in my life and sense him. When I needed direction and needed to know what to do next, I could pray and talk to him, and I would begin to feel direction in my life and a, a, a direction from him, and I began to grow in love with him because of his presence in my life. When I began to see and look at what he really wanted the world to be like, what he really wanted to do for people, his care for people, for the hungry, for the starving, for the needy, for the broken, for the addicted, for the confused. And he began to invite me into partnership with him to work on some of those things and to help some of those people discover him. I discovered his beauty. I discovered his love. I discovered what he wanted for each person. And I began to love him more and more. It was one of the great things that happened to me in this church as I sat here as a young boy and saw people come in again with addictions and with brokenness in their life and with marriages falling apart and with spirits broken and saw God heal them and change their life. I just found myself loving him more and more. And then I began to see his love for me in his work for me. This gift of salvation. I began to understand I don't deserve this at all. The hope of eternity. What a blessed hope this is. That when we go to the graveside of our loved ones, we're not hopeless. We're full of hope. And when our life comes to an end, we stand at that day crossing not, not into, into eternal nothingness, but into eternal hope in Christ Jesus. And as I began to discover those things, he became my only hope. And I loved him more and more and began to desire to live for his glory. And as love grew, fear began to disappear. I wasn't motivated by the fear anymore. I wasn't even close to those things anymore. Because now I was moving towards a goal instead of living inside of a boundary. See, if, you, if we miss loving him, if you miss loving him, you will miss your purpose in life. You will think you are the places you are for the wrong reason. You will live your life chasing after the wrong goals. You will care about the wrong things if you miss loving him. If you miss loving him, you'll miss the beauty of right relationships. Because if you miss loving him, you'll still have such an element of self in your relationships that will drive you, that will hurt and wound your relationships. But when you begin to love him and want to live pleasing him, it transforms how you see yourself in your relationships. If you miss loving him, you're going to miss the truth about pleasure. Pleasure in the selfish sense, in the worldly sense, is all about us and what we can get and what we can have. But when you're transformed, you discover the purpose that God gives us pleasure in some, some things. Why he gives us the pleasure in the things he gives us the pleasure in. And we begin to live for his glory. When we miss loving him, we, we, we miss this understanding. We begin to think we have the answers that can fix the world. And we try to fix the world in our knowledge, in our understanding. And we miss the truth that the only way to really see the world fixed is for hearts to get transformed. We want, when we miss loving him, we want, you know, we kind of want everybody to be comfortable just like they are. We kind of want to just tolerate and accept everything and put our arms around. You're okay, I'm okay, we're all beautiful together. 
Instead of understanding that, no, we're not. We're all broken together. We're all ugly together. We're all confused together. What we need is a transforming love of God to set us on a right path. And when we do that, we have to tell others about it. And sometimes others don't like that. But it's the most loving thing we can tell them. When you take a simple look and we see what God has for mankind. I mean, think about a world where everybody obeys the second part of that commandment, to love others as they love themselves. That's a pretty cool world. Think about a world where people have peace in their spirit because they know God loves them. That's a pretty cool world. Think about a world that's filled with joy because they've discovered purpose and meaning and direction in life through the power of God. Think about a world where you know your purpose, you know why you exist, you know what you were made for, and you walk in the fulfillment of that purpose. Think about a world where there's health in our relationships instead of all the strife and the tearing because people are following after God. And think about a world where we know there's eternal hope for our lives. When I see the world God wants us to live in, I love him all the more. When I see what he wants for creation, when I hear him say that, that Jesus say, for God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, I fall in love with God a little bit more. When I hear him say every good and perfect gift comes from above, I fall in love with him a little bit more. But I recognize in this world that we are broken. We can see what would be good and try to make it but we'll never make it happen without him. We can't because we're broken. Jesus is the hope of the world. And as long as we're living in knowledge and not in love, we'll never make that happen. Even in the church, we stop just a bit short. Just a bit short of sold out. Just a bit short of everything goes for him when we live in knowledge. Simply knowledge. When we do that, many of us still want to have success here. Many of us still want to win here. We want a measure of glory here. It's okay if Jesus comes along for the ride. We'll keep the fringes neat and clean, but we miss the point that, we're, that all the gifts, all the talents, all the abilities, all the places of influence, all the things God's done for you believers, listen to me, he put you there to show his glory to others around you. He puts you there to shine through your life so that people living in darkness can see a great light. When I was a kid, when I was a youth pastor, kids would come up to me and they would say to me, Pastor, can I do this and still be a Christian? Can my girlfriend grow? What's too far? What's too far? And my answer is always the same. If you're asking that question, you're asking the wrong question. You're still living in knowledge. You're not living in love. The right answer is, how do I live my life pleasing to God? How do I live my life? Do you think this pleases God? When you go to the Christmas party this year, the way you act, is it pleasing to God? Is it God-honoring? How are you living your life? This is the desire of somebody who loves God. When we love somebody, we want to please them. When we love somebody and we give them the gift at Christmas and they open it up and their eyes light up and our kids dance around the room, we're satisfied because we love them. 
And when we live rightly for God, we want to live our lives so that he's pleased with what we do. The answer to all the needs of mankind are in him. Our lives need to point to Jesus. All of our talents, all of, all of the things that we do, God has planted you where he's planted you, given you what he's given you for you to live for his glory. Not because we know we should and we calcul calculate a response, but because we love him and we want to live in a way that brings glory and honor to him and we want to please him. My wife has a, a favorite NBA, she's not a big NBA basketball fan, but she has a favorite NBA basketball player. And he became her favorite. Now, he, he could be the most corrupt guy in the world. I don't know. I, I don't know much about him. But to her, he's, he's her favorite NBA basketball player. Whatever team he's on, she's, you know, she's for him. She wants to see him succeed. And it, and it all started at when, when he was in, the, in college. He was in college playing basketball on a really good team. He was a really good player. And their team went to the NCAA championship. And that year, his team won the NCAA championship. And if you've ever watched a, a team win a championship, what do they do at the end? They celebrate. And they were celebrating. They were you know, hugging each other and jumping up and down and you know, doing, doing all the things that guys do and gals do when their team wins a championship. It was a party on that basketball floor. But after a couple of minutes, this young man broke away from his teammates. <clears throat> and he went over and got, jumped over the chairs to the side and started making his way up into the stands. And for some reason, the, the cameras followed him. They said, where's he going? And, and they followed him up there. And he got up to a certain place in the stands. He started working his way down the aisle. People are trying to grab him. And he's pushing them away. And he finally gets to this place. There's this woman there. And he throws his arms around this woman. And the guy on the, com the commentator said, that's his mom. And my wife said, that's my favorite player. That's the guy right there. Now listen, friends. God has an adventure for you. He has great things he wants you to do. He has a plan for your life that the enemy wants to train wreck, that the enemy wants to destroy. He's got things for you that will bring so much fulfillment and joy and purpose into your life that when you put your head on the pillow at night, you'll smile about how God's used you and what God's done in your life. You'll smile about the opportunities. Oh, there'll be challenges. And you'll have to learn how to walk in faith in those challenges and trust God in those challenges. But as you see God move in them, you'll see glorious things happen. But you've got to love Him. And at the end of the day, when all is won and all is said and done, and you high-five the other believers around you who are on the journey with you, and you celebrate with them, our eyes need to shift to the one who made it all possible. The one who sent his son to die for us. And our celebration can't ever forget that our deepest love belongs to him. We've got to love him with all of our heart and all of our soul, with all of our being. And if you're not there yet, I want to encourage you to begin to experience him to begin to walk in, to move it past this place of knowledge, to begin to pray, to begin to look at his plans for the world, begin to look at who he is, 
Because the more you look at who he is, the more love for him is going to grow in your heart. Let's stand together today and let's pray. Prayer teams, if you'd come down to the front, please. Father, you know the condition of all of our hearts. Father, we're at the beginning of wisdom and with knowledge and or whether we've transitioned to where fear has subsided and love for you has grown, till we're not living at the fringes, but we're trying to move to the center. We're examining all the things of our life, and we're asking the simple question, does this please you? Does this honor you? And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you'd help us to examine that and see where we're at in life. And if we have to walk out of here saying, wow, I'm doing this out of knowledge, then, Lord, I pray you'd begin to heal our hearts and we'd begin to see your greatness today. So, Father, we ask that you do that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, Dan's going to lead us in a song. As I've said in this message, if you have an addiction, if you have an illness, if you need direction, if you need prayer for something, Just step out and come down and let somebody pray for you. But I want to make a very special appeal today. Knowledge is the beginning. Knowledge is when we understand that Jesus died for us and we're going to spend eternity someplace. You will spend eternity someplace. And it's the first step towards really falling in love with God is to understand that. And to understand that Jesus paid the price for you. But there has to come a point, a time in our life when we accept him as our Savior, we put our faith in him to save us, and we accept him as our Lord. If you haven't done that or if you've wandered from that, you've turned your back on him and walked away. Today can be an eternity-changing moment in your life. All you've got to do is walk down here and ask one of these people to pray with you. Others will become, you say, oh, I'm embarrassed I'm shy or whatever. Listen, we're talking about your eternity here. We're talking about your eternity. Don't risk your eternity for fear of walking down an aisle. Listen, all of us have done this at some point in time. Come down and let somebody pray. We don't care. Ask somebody next to you that you know. Say, will you go with me? They'll be happy to go with you. But don't miss this opportunity. It's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life is to fully surrender your life to Christ. Father, in these next moments, as people come for various needs, we pray you do a work in their life. We ask you, Father, we plead with you, do miracles around this altar today. Intervene today. And Father, we pray for the greatest miracle of all. There's someone here that's far from you, that today you'd become the Lord and Savior of their life. In Jesus' name, amen. As Dan leads this song, you step out and come right now. We love you. God bless you.